Welcome to LJ's Open Forum, and I'm Michelle Johnson, your host, and I am here today to talk a little bit about my feelings and the things that have been occurring in this country for centuries. We'll just talk a little bit. I would love to hear your comments, love to hear any information that you can give me about this subject because it's close to my heart, and I think it's close to everyone's heart in this country right now, especially us African-Americans. And the one thing that I wanted to say today is that do we really matter in this country? Do we matter now because we're fighting against social injustices? Um, The George Floyd murder, Breonna Taylor, Aubrey, you come up to now Rayshard Brooks. And do we matter at all? In the minds of people... And I'm saying African-American people because I I always like to go back and look at history to determine, you know, how they felt or what would I I have done during that time. And I guess that's why I wasn't, you know, born in that time to be able to take all the injustices. And what I mean is do we matter? What I mean by about do we matter? um, I had a Facebook post. And, of course, the Facebook post was promotional because it was about um, my episode on Rayshard Brooks. And um, the title was, Do We Matter? And someone commented that, no, we don't. We stopped mattering when slavery ended. And that that's that person's point of view. And you could feel that way. Um, I look at the questions that, you know, as a child, you know, we went on a trip. And the people were like, oh, there go those niggers. Or, they, they, you know, where are they going? You know, and it hurt me for you to hate me because you've been taught to hate me because of the color of my skin. It hurts because you think that I am not as good as you. It hurts because you think that I couldn't support my family. Or that, or as a, a, as a, a black woman, you know, we had to work hard as maids and everything to, to support you and keep you propped up. And your children propped up. But we um, weren't good enough to do it for our families. For the black man, the thought processes of um, people across the country. Oh, he just has a lot of babies and then leaves the woman. The children grow up. They have no family. They have no fathers. You know, it's just the mothers in their household. These are the thought processes. Oh, they can't get a job. They they can't learn. They're too dumb to learn. Oh, they can't get educated. And, and, oh, how did he get that job? Or how did she get that house? Or how did they get that car? Oh, you know, and you work on the same job as them making um, just as much as they make. These are the things that are hurtful and that are demeaning. And you wonder, you know, what goes on in the minds of an adult, an adult mind after they are no longer children to, un- to, to think that, you know, because of the colors of someone's skin that they, they can't learn, that they, oh, all those kids have ADHD. Oh, those kids are, are, are labeled. You know, they're, they're all going to go to, co- go to um, prison rather than college. Um, these are the things that we're fighting against. Um, in the climate in this country, the thought processes are like this. So what does it matter when, you know, you have the knee on a man's neck, on his back, or a woman's neck or back? Because you believe all of the, the stories. You believe that they're no good. Who really cares? They're going to go kill each other. They're going to, they're not going to, they don't really care about their community. They don't clean up their houses. They don't do anything. They don't have good jobs. They don't get an education. They just live the way they, they live. You know, part of this 
is because, you know, your ancestors created it. That's part of it. You know, there were a lot of white people during that time that helped, that wanted, um, wanted to help, but were afraid to help. There were those who did help and, and believed that people could have education of African-Americans and succeed and have good jobs, live in good communities and raise families, save money, get loans, do everything that they could do. Um, they did believe this. So there are those people there that have always been that way during my grandmother's time and before. You know, when you think about Harriet Tubman and you think about the, the Underground Railroad and how did that railroad succeed? There were a lot of white people that helped that railroad succeed, you know, along along with us blacks. There was a ton of white people that helped that railroad into Canada. So we have to look at those people. But there's a glaring amount of people that believe um, what they were taught and don't want to change. And they believe what the news tells them and don't want to change. And look at that. Um, that's our climate. We have a, a president in now that believes, you know, I don't really know what he believes. I, I, I think the man, you know, it's just that it's just crazy to think that this person, you know, tweeting every day dumbness. This is what we this is what we have. So we have to all as American citizens rise above him in order. But but let's go into, you know, when you look at the Juneteenth day. And that was Friday. We didn't find out on Thursday on our job until we were scheduled off on Friday. You know, it didn't matter whether I was on or off. Um, Juneteenth Day is special, and it's become even special in this climate today that our children, I can't express this enough, people, that we have to teach them about our past. They have to know about, start with your family history. Start with the things that occurred and great things that people may have done that you're, that are your African-American ancestors. And start to talk about those people. Start there so they can have something to grasp onto. Did you know that daddy did this? Or did you know that grandpa did this? Or grandma did this? Or great aunt such and such did this? Tell those stories. Because they need to know. And it gives them a, it gives them a history. Remember, my history. And I'm sure anybody that's listening to this segment. That's listening to this podcast. That's African American. We only can go but so far, people. Now, my history, as you, if you've listened to my um, grandmother's story, Rose's story, goes to her grandfather. My great-grandfather, Cullen Rucker, was born into slavery. Now, I don't know what year he was born. I'm going to actually look that information up in a later time, in a later episode, we'll probably talk about it. But he was born in slavery. Now, it wasn't too far from that that slavery ended. That's as far as I go. Great-grandfather Cullen and great-grandmother Rossi, she told me about her, her grandfather, which would have been my great-great-grandfather, who was a Blackfoot Indian, and my grandmother, who was a light-skinned woman, and didn't know much about my great-grandfather's side, Cullen. She never really talked about them. She didn't like them as much, so they the stories were vague with them, um, with the Rutgers. I do know that, you know, there's a Ruckersville, Georgia there's Rutgers and Bowman, you know, they're, they're down there. So we're there, but I can't go across the ocean to my ancestors in Africa and say that this is where I was from. And this is where my ancestors tribe was at. I can't do that because I was stolen, sold and taken away. My ancestors was. So when we talk about history, we have to talk about the history of our family currently, as well as the past. And as far back as you can go, 
your children and your grandchildren need to know because it stops with us. If we don't tell the story, how can they tell the story to their children? So they have to know these stories. And in today's climate, we should be talking about African-American history as much as we can. Because when you look at Juneteenth Day, we look at 1865 and, you know, 1865 and then you look at Lincoln and then you know the Emancipation Proclamation that freed us those people in Texas didn't know to a few years later a couple years later that they were free and then when we were free and let me tell you this studying Civil War history you know I like studying it in college I enjoyed it I didn't enjoy it um you know I just enjoyed learning more about the reasons behind the war and, and what the North was trying to do to the South and the South to the North. And how, you know, we all paint, we all paint this big broad stroke and say it was about slavery. Maybe it was about cotton and king of cotton and money. And it was about stopping them, stopping them from getting all that free money. Remember, slaves, we our ancestors worked for free. People in the North were in some form of slavery because they didn't make much money, you know. And years later, you see why the Union became so big during that time. But during that war, we looked at slavery as, you know, the big thing. But when you think about President Lincoln, Lincoln didn't know what to do, you know, with the slaves after slavery ended. Now, he was assassinated by John Wilkes Booth. But, but after that point, when he was gone... And slavery ended, then you get you, you get another president in who wanted to keep the, the blacks down and the slaves down. And at that time when slavery ended, then you got you got a whole nif- different part of slavery, you know. You got this, you got black code laws, you got Jim Crow laws, you got KKK, every type of hate group, and those things, you know, you can't walk at night. You know, you couldn't get a job. You couldn't get an education. You couldn't get a mortgage to buy a house even if you had the money. You couldn't do all of these things in order to still keep you in bondage. Now, the same thing when we go and we look at prison reform and we look at prison back then, how they put you in prison because if they felt you didn't know how to um, handle your money, can you believe that? If somebody could say, oh, my husband, James Johnson, don't know how to handle his money, he'd go to jail. So he could be in jail. Then they, they put you in jail for years. And then when they bring you out, you know how you have probation now? Well, back then probation was like they put you with a white person. You had to work on their farms, you know, for years and years for nothing. These are the things that they did to keep people in bondage in certain places. And today, and you wonder why, you know, certain things with African-Americans are the way they are today. Because it was bred. It was put in them. And it was put in them by that culture and by those people and by Caucasians who wanted to keep us down. And those same people today, works they work on your police force. You know, I had another person send me a comment and I really liked it when she's when she talked about, you know, when they talk about the KKK and why they wear hoods. Why they wear why they wore hoods or why they still wear hoods. The reason behind it is because they're your sheriffs, they're your judges, they're your teachers, they're your doctors, they're your lawyers. They're your homeowners. They're your neighbors in the community. These these are who these people were and still are today. And that's why when you look at, you know, voting, the political climate now, the political climate is for you to vote. And any way you could tell anybody in your neighborhood to vote. And this is not only for African-Americans, it's for everyone. When you want to change, we have to get together, unite, 
and vote. And what I mean by not only voting in this in this primary and the presidential campaign and voting for that in the fall, I'm talking about voting in your community, voting in your county and your city and in your state and start to research and learn about the people who are running for office and what their platforms and what they stand for and what they have done in the past. We need to know so that we can get people that believe in equality, that believe in when I'm on that, if I'm a judge on that stand, that I don't treat the white person different from the Hispanic or different from the black. I treat everyone equally. I don't treat the poor man different from the rich man. This is what we have to look at now and vote for. If we can't do that, we're going to do, be doomed for the same things that happened recently to continue to do so. You know, when Obama's administration ended, of course, you have a new administration who built their platform on hate. So we have to now start to build a platform on love. And if we can do that, we can win part of the battle. Not all of it. You're never going to win all of it because there's always going to be good people and evil people in every color. But we can win part of that val- that 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 battle that we're out here waging ra- raging right now. I mean, they're raging um, about the murders of these young people that were killed, and it's correct that they're raging. But now we have to back them up on the political side and get out there and start getting people to vote and um and tr- and teaching teaching young people teaching um, the individuals about who they're going to be voting for. And some of these young people need to run for office, you know, just to get out there and let people know. Social media is so huge today, people. Social media is so huge today that I believe a young person could to rage a battle for an office in a county or a city and win it and not have all the money you think they need. That's how huge, how big, how gigantic social media is today. And we want our young people to be out here voting you know, we want them to be out here teaching other people you got to vote. We want all the religions that's out here to get together to vote. You know, I heard that they said Muslim people really don't vote. I actually heard that. I don't know if that's true. I want somebody to tell me. If they don't, they need to. Because we had to get together to get this person out of office and get a person into office that will be able to run this country effectively and equally and not preach hate but preach togetherness and unification. And if we can do that, then we'll be doing pretty good. Um, When you look at prison reform today, which is now the biggest issue, I was just watching a few movies, a few documentaries. I watched Just Mercy, and I just looked at how that is so true. You could get picked up. You could have 100 witnesses. They all black, but none of them mean anything. You go get on the jury, all the jury's neighbors whites. So they're not going to vote for you. They're going to vote against you. And you spend years on death row for something you never committed. Um, And this is what we have in this country. There are probably hundreds of thousands of more people, whether they're white or whether they're black, and they were just poor, that are in jail that shouldn't be there. And we have to, like, you know, use the Innocence Project and all of these great, fantastic, wonderful people that go into law, not for money but to help, are out there um, raging a war against and civil injustice in this country and prison reform. The rich people that are out there fighting for people. But not only them, we need to be out there fighting in some climate, some way to help with this. You know, even if we just have money saved up for bail for people to be able to get out. You know, I was watching um, one of the rappers, Meek Mill's documentary a year ago. 
and it said that he stayed, he spent a lot of time in jail and his bail was $5,000, I think, you know, let me know if I'm wrong, but nobody had $500 to get this, this young man out of jail to be able to be home first and then go back and do his trial. So this is true in this country and it's to this day, people don't have money, you know, that you think they do, but they don't have as much as you think. So, or it's not placed in the right way it should be when it's needed to help someone. So, when we go back and say, do we matter? Answer the question. Email me um, at LJ's Open Forum Podcast at AOL.com. You know, again, LJ's Open Forum Podcast at AOL.com. And don't laugh at me because I'm using AOL. I like AOL. I already got I got my separate Google stuff. AOL is for the podcast. And email me some questions. Email me some statements. Tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me where I'm right. But I would love to hear from you guys because we have to come together and understand there's no way that we can make change until we unify in this country. And it's going to be hard. We have to live on a climate of love, people. Everybody can fight it all they want. Climate of hate is not going to, we're not going to succeed. And believe me, we're not going to succeed as a country with every color in the landscape. We can't. We have to get together. There's always going to be a good person. There's always going to be a bad person. In whatever color. We got bad blacks, bad whites, bad Asians, Hispanics, everybody you can name. Indians. We got some bad people. But we also got some good people. And I truly believe in my heart of hearts that the good people always will outweigh the bad people in this country. And, and celebrating Juneteenth, they say, should we be a national holiday? Yes, we should. Because everyone in this country, earlier I talked about us teaching our children about the African-American history, reading books. In the summertime, there are so many books. Like if you go on, and you know, everybody's on social media, everybody's on internet, everybody's on Netflix, everybody's on Prime, Amazon, they got so many free books on Kindle. Download these books. Read them to your children or let them read them. Make it a part of their summer assignment to read these books and to understand about slavery and the things and how it affected us today, how it affects us today. Because it's a few it's huge how it affects us today. If you think being in bondage for all of those years and being let go, but then put in another bondage. Is, is not going to affect your your generations after that. You're crazy. It's going to. So we have to look at how the generational issues during that time affected us. You know, we had light skin against dark skin. Do we still have that today? Yes, that was back then. So we still have it today. You know, they call it the old crabs in a barrel syndrome. You know, as soon as you start to make it, they don't want you to make it. So then they're not going to support you you know, making it. They're going to be jealous, envious. And jealousy and envy isn't everyone, but you're old enough to know right from wrong and how to battle it and how to get rid of it. But people feel that way today. They don't want you to succeed. You know, if you start a business and all I got to do is buy a $10 thing from you, you know, some people be like, no, they're not going to do it. Instead of everyone in the family buying the $10 thing to get the person lifted up and started. We do that. You know, if I open a store, you know, people, you know, they want me to, to sell the lowest prices I can sell or give it to you for free because I'm African-American. You know, if they go into the white store, they don't do that. So these are the things that have been pushed generationally 
from those 400 years to later on to now and we're still dealing with those issues and we don't work those issues out we can't technically move forward in our community we can't be jealous of each other you know when they talk about black on black crime I say well where's the white on white crime there are more of us in this country than, than, than there are more of them than us is what I meant to say so you know where, where are those statistics at you know, how many black-on-black -black crimes were committed in Philadelphia from January 2020 to current? You know, you want to know. Because what people say is that, you know, there's more generally white-on-white -white crime and there's more crime in areas where, where the same people live together. So they're all killing each other in that same area. You know, the broad strokes, broad strokes of it, they take all the numbers from America and put them in there and say black-on-black. But I want to see what the numbers are when it's just, you know, in a county or in a city or a state. Um, I still think we have to work on that because, again, we kill each other over arguments. We kill each other. The guy looking at your girl or you're looking at, you know, whatever. You know, I'm jealous of you because you got a new car and I didn't. You know, drugs may be involved. You know, we have to we have to look at everything in our community in order to build it up. Um you know, when you look at gentrification in our communities, because when we started to move in communities in the past, and again, I'm going to go back to looking at what Juneteenth means to us. When we started and we were able to move into white communities. Now, I'm going to tell you from hand, because when I, my parents moved in this community in 1970, April 1970, I was five years old. I'm 55 now. Now, I lived away from here for a long time. Then I came back and um, purchased the house for my parents, for my mother. My father passed away in, in 1997. So I purchased, purchased the house for my mother and have a mortgage on it. And when we first moved here, there were so many white people in this community. And in a way, you know, the few blacks that were here, we all got along together. Like we walked to school with, you know, the white and the black mothers walked their children to school. Their husbands went to work. But then you have what? You have white flight. You have people constantly coming in saying, oh, those black people are going to destroy your neighborhood. It was so bad, they were telling my dad to move because you couldn't hang clothes on your back on your back line. You remember back in the day when people had lines outside in the back and they would hang their clothes too dry because the fresh air was so wonderful? Well, when a lot of black people started moving in the neighborhoods, the clothes started to leave from the lines. I don't know why, but of course, that was one way for the white people to use to leave. Um, now, you can see from our photos, we had white people in the class in kindergarten. By the time I got to second and third grade, they were all black people, like the white people were gone. If you want to talk about white flight, white flight was so fast. I was five years old. By the time I was eight, there were no white people in the community. If they were, they were way up some other area. They were gone. So, now today, lining up today, where they coming back. But they're coming back because we're selling our houses for nothing. And then they're buying them after an investor has, you know, repaired them, renewed them. And they gave, you know, gave you $5,000, $6,000, And then they're selling your property for $250, $180, That's what's going on in the communities now. The one thing I could say on that, after that rant, is that you need to pay your taxes if your grandparents, your grandmothers, your fathers, or whoever had the house. And they work their butts off during the year to pay it off. If you can't pay $800 a year in taxes, then you don't need to be there. 
but you give away their properties and then of course gentrification and they come back in now it's not that bad for those of us who do pay their taxes because then, then my value of my house has gone up tremendously so i'm happy in that way but not happy in the way that people are giving away their properties. I think that if you can afford to do so, you should fix your property up. You should handle it correctly and pay the taxes if that's somewhere you want to live. Now, if you don't, then sell it. But those are things that's happening in our community. And that really is just hopelessly, hopelessly deterring us from success. You know, we have so many smart, brilliant people in our communities that because of circumstances... It will, it will never be shown of what they can be and what they can accomplish. So Juneteenth is a way for us to continue to look back on that and to say, we're going we're gonna to push education to the limits in our cities. We're going to make sure these kids know everything they need to know and every resource they need, every program that will be free, every after-school program. If we got to help the parents, they need mental health assistance all those things that's needed to help them help the young parent help the grandparent so that in the future those kids coming from 2020 are your doctors your lawyers your scientists you know your politicians everything that you can have on here on that list they will be able to do athletes you know but i'm not going to always say you need to be an athlete you know maybe you need maybe we need the doctor to discover the cure to cancer or discover all the different cures that's coming up that would need to be done. Maybe we need you for that rather than dribbling the basketball up the court and making the money. But the climate and the social media aspect of everything makes it seem to our youth today, and I mean our young African-American youth, that you know, if, if your dad is just working and making a good old salary of 80 grand, 50 grand a year, or your mom's making 70, 80, 100 grand a year, we ain't doing nothing because... We need to be living in that $20 million house and we need to be walking the catwalks and walking the walk up into the stars. So we need to be a star because they show they're the true success stories. The true success stories are not them. Now, this is my take. The true success stories are, are the dads out there and the moms out there that are taking care of their families, that are sending them, that are educating them, that are loving them, that are rearing them that are teaching them about life outside of the household and how to act as a man or a woman and how to succeed and go on to college and have a career or have a business. Those are the true success stories of the middle-class people. We have, to learn, we have to learn that we lead the country. The true middle-class leads the country. It's not so many rich people, but it's a lot more poor and it's a lot more middle-class. So we lead the country tax-wise, you know, politically-wise, they have the money to throw out. They show you that money on TV. You attain and want to be like them. But everybody's not going to be that. You know, everybody's not going to be a millionaire. You could do your best to get there, but everybody's not going to be a millionaire. Everybody's not going to hit the number, you know, or either start a business and make millions. But you can still support your family effectively, beautifully, in the middle class. I'm not in the middle class section. You cannot have a lot of money and raise strong, successful children if we teach them about our history, if we teach them that education comes on top, that they have to learn, that they have to study. If we teach them those things, if we rear them, 
a little tight so that they understand how to treat people and they don't have hate in their hearts, but love. And they know how to succeed out there in the world. Teach them how to act. Teach them how not to take, you know, be a leader, not a follower. Don't, don't do drugs. Don't listen to them. Don't want to be in the crew if the crew is doing wrong. Be in the crew if the crew is being right. Those are the things that we have to teach. There can be a change in this country. There could be a magnificent change if we can just do those small things well. The other things will come in the future. Everybody's not going to be a millionaire today. Might be a millionaire 10 years from now, though, or 20 years from now. So we have to look at how education is important to our kids. And we have to be involved in our children's lives in school, education-wise. We have to know what they're being taught. We have to know what's there, what resources are available to them so that they can learn more. And believe it, when your children have struggles, what are the things there that can assist them, that can make them, lift them up, and, 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 and they can succeed in high school, middle school, grade school, college. We have to ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? What type of job you want to do? We have to do all of those things with the children because we can only succeed with the way this climate is in this country if we're teaching our children growth rather than, you know, reduction. You know, the newest pair of sneakers, the newest outfit. No, we need to be like, what's the newest book that came out about this or about that? What do you think about this book? Let's talk about it. So, again, when you look at do we really matter, yes, we do. And we have to teach our kids that they matter. And that they matter in this climate. And they matter in everything. And this is why you matter. This is why you're loved. Because I love you. So, again, this is Michelle Johnson with LJ's Open Forum Podcast. And just wonderful listening. I hope that you can continue to... Just involve yourself in these podcasts. Talk to me about them. Send me comments. It will be exciting. And I want to just keep giving you more and more content about family history, about the openness of how we need to change in this country and how we can change, how we can get better, how we can grow, how can, how we can learn. Again, I'm on Spotify. You know I'm on Apple Podcasts now. And please listen on Anchor. And again, my website is www.ljsopenforumpodcast.com. Go on there and you can listen to all of my different um, podcasts. You can read a little bit about my family history. You can see some photos of my family and you can comment on that site. And again, this is LJ's Open Forum Podcast on Twitter, on Spotify, on Facebook. Please comment and I will be coming to you soon again. Again, love you, have a great day, and again, you do matter, we do matter, and our family matters, and everything that we do, positive, affects our lives as well as our children's lives and everyone around us. Again, LJ's Open Forum Podcast, have a great day.